Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series. Um, someone who I've been really hoping to get, and I can't believe that he agreed to come onto the program, and I feel privileged that he he has. Um, member for Sydney, uh, Member of Parliament, um, Alex Greenwich. Welcome to the program, Alex. Thanks very much, Alan. So why I wanted to bring Alex onto the program um, is... Uh, to me, he emulates all the things that uh, the Courage to Lead interview series is, is seeking to explore in identifying leaders who empower other people to lead and create inclusive and supportive workplaces or environments. And in Alex's case, he he's done that across uh, the environment of Sydney and probably across the environment of uh, New South Wales and Australia, really, when I think about some of the things you've done. Um, so. Why I asked Alex initially is uh, I've I'm, I'm known Alex in my policing life. Um, one of my good colleagues, Tony Crandell, recommended that um, uh, you would be a great presenter to our leadership workshops that we used to do at North Sydney and Chatswood. And I couldn't believe it. You agreed to come and talk to our people probably two or three years in a row. Um, you're the only politician that I've ever invited um, because you're not, in my view, uh, you're different. You're, 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 you're the real deal. You're, you're a genuine person who, who seeks to the betterment of others. And when you spoke at those leadership days, um, you're just a, a different type of person that I want to explore well, who that is in the, in the interview today. Uh, you have a, a way of dealing with people who maybe or definitely don't agree with you. Um, and rather than get angry at them, you seem to have this way of understanding them and forming a relationship with them, which is so refreshing in today's world. So that's why one of the main reasons I wanted to interview you today. So I'll just go into a couple of little things because there's, there's, there's very scant details about you. You don't give anything much away on your, um, on your Facebook page <laughs> and your Wikipedia page is pretty, pretty um, light on as well. But I'll just go through some highlights. So you were born in 1980. Um, you're from uh, Russian Georgian descent parents um, who uh, ended up in New Zealand and then came to Australia, I think, when you were about nine years old. Um, uh, you became a member of parliament in 2012. So that's at 32 years of age. Uh, and your father was at that time the far the um, honorary consular general of Georgia up until from 2004 to 2013, and you come from um, a, a Georgian prince line in Russia uh, before that. So it's a, it's a great story. Um, you went to Sydney Grammar. And you're you've got a bachelor in human resource management and Rus Russian studies, which I find incredibly interesting. And you ran your own recruiting company between 1998 in 2012 called Winning Attitudes. And just some highlights, um, and you're married to um, your husband, Victor Hold, is that how you say it? That's correct, yeah. Um, um, uh, and some of the things you've accredited for, because you've been a member of parliament for 10 years, um, one of your platforms um, when you got elected was you wanted to start an inner city high school, you've done that. You got a historic apologies for the South Sea Islanders. Um, you have been a champion of social housing issues, reducing homelessness through the pandemic, um, and you're a major supporter and an acknowledgement of uh, First Nations people as well. Um, you introduced the reproductive health care reform in 2017. You decriminalised abortion only three years ago in New South Wales, um, and recently you um, got through the Animal Research Amendment Act 
And I think I've read somewhere the euthanasia is legalised as well. So that's just a little bit of a bit of a snapshot um, about it. And I think one other thing was um, you're, as I said, you're a major supporter of social housing. So recently you had a development in Potts Point that had 15 new apartments that were social and affordable housing apartments as well. Um, so that's just a snapshot, so you don't have to go into it. I mean, there must be a lot. Um, um, but if I can take you there, do you want to take us back to the the, the young man that came to Australia in uh, as as a nine year old? Um, and how does how does the man I've described in summary so far where does where does he come from? Where does that? Um, how do you yeah, get that... built into the man you are? Um, well, and, and also, you know, um, so my dad is Russian Georgian background. My mum is American, um, so I'm, you know, hugely proud of of both sides of 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 my family. And, and now my parents are, are happily uh, divorced, um, and I maintain really really great uh, relationships with both of them. Um, yeah. If I think about when I arrived in Sydney, we arrived in the in the late eighties, um, and Prior to that, we lived in country New Zealand. So, you know, I I remember arriving, moving from the, you know, country, and if you can imagine country New Zealand, there's lots of sheep, rolling hills, cows, chickens. Um, and then and my parents had um, bought a, a place right in the CBD. So we moved right into central Sydney. And it was a massive shock. I remember, you know, one of the first things I did was, playing with the intercom in the apartment because I thought, wow, this is cool. Um, and I kind of really fell in love with with being in the city. Um, you know, I, I loved, uh, you know, I loved uh, New Zealand and, and being in, in the country there, but um, I really fell in love with being in an inner city environment. Um, I liked its density. Uh, I liked its diversity. Um, you know, I would, I remember my you know, parents, you know, picking me up uh, from debating on a, a late on a Friday, um, we'd you know drive home down William Street, and there'd be sex workers there, and they'd explain to me what the you know what what the sex worker does. Um, mm -hmm. We would also be in the inner city, be you know you would see um, people who were homeless, you would see um, uh, people who were injecting drug users. Um, you could just really see people from all sorts of different multicultural backgrounds. So I guess a, when, I, when I sort of think of you know what what sort of made me passionate about sydney the communities i represent and champion it would have to be the, the growing up in the inner city um and yeah. being around that uh that diversity um and it, my parents really being not afraid to talk about any issue that other people's parents may be um a, a bit worried to to uh, talk to a 10 year old about so that started at 10 years old, did it? That, that was, yeah, that nine, was or nine or 10, like, yeah. That's really refreshing. Um, uh, so that that would be kind of the, the account you just gave, that, that those discussions would happen in the car on the way home. Would that, you know, what, what, what would a normal night at the dinner table, what would the discussions around oh. the dinner table be? You know, it would be, you know, it could, could be a, about a, a range of issues. I've always been interested in, you know, in understanding the world. Um, uh, I've got, um, uh, uh, you know, grew up with two two wonderful brothers, um, uh, Victor and Nick. Uh, I'm the I'm the one in the middle. 
Um, I guess also growing up as, as a middle child, I learned really good negotiation skills, which I um, ha have been able to bring into <laughs> to my current job today. Um, yeah. But I guess I, I really love the fact that my family was just a family that was not afraid to talk about controversial issues. So you flagged the reproductive health care reform in your intro, the, um, the bill to decriminalise abortion in New South Wales. My first exposure to political advocacy was around the issue of abortion. And I remember my grandmother, Jackie, who, who uh, lived in the US, shared with all of her grandchildren, um, I think I was 11 at the time, um, that she was just completely disgusted with then President George H.W. Bush's view um, about abortion, that he was anti-choice, anti-abortion. She shared a letter she wrote to him um, basically saying it's, you know, it's my body, my choice, how dare you? Um, and, you know, my, my American side of the family is, a, uh, you know, is, is, is conservative, um, you know, conservative, middle class, well-to-do. Um, but the fact that my grandmother was talking truth to power and was able to under, to explain to her grandchildren um, the importance of a, a woman's right to choose and have control over her body, um, you know, that for me, that was that was really one of the things that um, my, my first if I my first exposure to to political engagement came from her. Uh, I normally um, ask a question. I think you just answered it. Um, you first uh, to anyone on this program. What was your first exposure to leadership? Would it be your grandmother? Oh, look, I think it, it would have been uh, definitely, you know, I had great grandparents, but also, you know, my parents, you know, I saw them, you know, running a business in New Zealand, my mum making choice to move the family to Australia um, to seek business opportunities and, and broaden the, you know, the potential of her, of her kids. That was, that was really important leadership. Um, you know, my dad, who comes from a, a refugee background, um, fighting against, you know, discrimination um, a, a, as a as a Russian immigrant in New Zealand to be a really successful business person, um, you know, that was clearly a, a sign of leadership. So I never sort of think of leadership as a one-off incident. I always think of, of it as ongoing behaviours, and it's something that I, you know, was really fortunate to see from from both my parents and, and all of my grandparents. Okay. Um, you said your dad had a successful business in New Zealand, but his your intro talks about um, he was the honorary consular, consular general for Georgia um, for about nine years, I think. So, what was 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 he a businessman and the consular general, or what? Yeah, so, so my parents, yeah, my, my parents both together um, in in New Zealand uh, ran gyms, Greenwich Fitness. Um, but also uh, recruitment um, businesses in New Zealand and Australia. So they were focused on, on you know, helping people find jobs. And so that's what, um, you know, that, that was the bulk of both of their careers. Um, and the, the Honorary Consul General to Georgia was essentially a voluntary role that my dad did um, to build ties between Georgia and, uh, and Australia. And so, would you? Did you have any part in in or any exposure to his role there? Oh yeah, I would attend events um, uh, with him. I think you probably remember when we hosted the w Rugby World Cup. Georgia participated, and were really a um, 
a, a crowd favourite, even though they they didn't win the Rugby World Cup that was held in Australia. They were certainly one of the crowd's favourites. So, you know, was able to join him in matches and, and, and events there. Okay. Um, so what was it like? I hear you touched on it. Um, you were in the debating team, I think. Was, so did you go to your, your introduction talks about Sydney Grammar? Do you go there right from the word go and all the way through your schooling or? No, so I, I went to, um, originally went to Waikanae Public in um, in New Zealand, which is in the Kapiti Coast, just a bit north of Wellington. Um, I remember very distinctly at one show and tell, um, you know, again, my, my parents were people who just didn't put boundaries on us. So, you know, I, I thought it at like age six, I'd bring to show and tell my Barbie dolls. Um, so I did that, kids, te kids teased me. So the next show and tell, I decided to bring my Ken dolls. <laughs> um, then I we came to we came to Sydney. Um, I went to Scots College in in the eastern suburbs first, and then Sydney Grammar. Um, so I was really, you know, you know, my my parents really, um, you know, invested in, in private education, which was really expensive. And um, uh, we have, I mean, we have a great public education system in New South Wales. Um, but you know, I, I I do really respect the the amount of yeah, how hard my parents had to work to put us into schools like Scots College and, and Sydney Grammar. Very good. And um, anything particular? Like this, as I said, your your bio is really scant on some of the details. Um, anything in particular that stands out from your Sydney Grammar years that oh, look, you'd like I, to share? Yeah, I, like I forged really good friendships. It was a um, a competitive environment academically, not so much on the sporting field as anyone who, you know, follows private schools in Sydney. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I learned the power of an intellectual argument. I, um, uh, and, you know, it was a really diverse school. So, you know, able to deal, able to work with um, and learn with students from a variety of multicultural backgrounds. I think that was also really, really important. And of course, the school, the high school's right in the city, right? So you, you're surrounded by um, uh, 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 amazing diversity everywhere you go. Okay. Um, so what happens? Um, was there any, any kind of leadership roles in the school that you, or anything stick out there? Oh, look, I, you know, I wrote for the school paper as part of the debate, the, the debate team, which I really did enjoy a lot. Um, and, um, you know, just, just you know, it, I, I was not by any stretch of the imagination a, a top student at the school. I don't think I captained anything, um, but I always enjoyed whether it was the debating team or some sort of team sports. But my focus was, was always sort of working you know, uh, alongside people, had, had great, great fun with my friends. Was one of the few people who could actually walk to school and back because we lived in the city. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look back at my time at Sydney Grammar with with a great deal of, of fondness. Okay, you're very. Your Wikipedia profile talks about, um, and I can't believe the way they say this. Um, the only openly gay um, politician in New South Wales Parliament. Um, yeah, that's not but, 100% true because um, I'm, I'm the only openly gay member currently sitting in the Legislative Assembly. 
Um, but in the New South Wales Upper House, we've we've had a long history of, of openly gay um, elected members. So, you know, Shane Mallard is there, Penny Sharp is there, Mark Pearson is there. Um, and, um, you know, in, in uh, uh, Don Harwin has served for a great deal of this term as well. Um, and there were certainly many more before that. So um, I don't, I don't it, not everything on Wikipedia is always, is always accurate. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's, and that's why, I, why I'm keen to, you know, who, who is the real, the real deal for uh, Alex Greenwich is, is why I wanted to interview you because they all, you know, you, what you're sharing with us now is, um, is quite beautiful and, and it kind of gives us an insight of where it comes from. Um, you kind of, I don't know whether you, do you know a lady called Christina Figueres? Um, she was the the main lady behind the um, the climate change um, agreements. Um, okay, yes. Yeah, so she grew up in a in a political family in Cuba or somewhere like that. Um, uh, some other, and her dad was, you know, a high level politician and their conversations around the table was very similar to what you're describing. So it's just interesting how someone like yourself forms the ability to negotiate, uh, argue a point and form, you know, uh, understand diversity and, um, and actually create a, few, a, better, a better future. So um, I just wanted to if you just said um, in your first days at, uh, at your New Zealand public school, you took your Barbie dolls to school and your parents supported you that. So it, you, did you know back then that you were you were a, a gay man or, or different or or did your mum and dad how, how do your mum and dad uh, support you? You know, I, I I don't I didn't think I I was uh, I, I you know I I you know different people have different experiences and journeys. Um, but I don't think you um, I you know I certainly didn't think about sexuality at that age, I just sort of thought, um, you know, the Barbie dolls are cool. I like to change the clothes that they wear, dress them up. Um, and um, the, you know, GI Joes or, you know, building blocks, that kind of stuff just didn't interest me. Um, you know, I, I have a, a cousin, Stephanie, who's a lesbian. And I remember one Christmas party she got like a Barbie. She she got a like a a, a dollhouse, I think, and I got like a cricket bat. And <laughs> both of us were in tears and outraged. Um, she wanted the sports equipment. I wanted the dolls. Um, yeah. And and then we swapped. Um, yeah. But but I guess I I think of it in this way. My parents never let never made me think. There was absolutely anything wrong without with me exploring different parts of my personality. Um, and part of my personality was I, um, you know, I didn't play with the traditional things that are, you know, that a that a boy is expected to play with. Um, you know, at kindy, I remember my parents having to be called by the um, uh, by the like the supervisors because I was dressing up as Mary Poppins and opened up a umbrella and was jumping off um, tables. Mm. But again, like certainly didn't get in trouble for that. Um, so yeah, I, I really I really benefited from from parents who are extremely um, open-minded and supportive and and just let me flourish um, to, to be who I wanted to be. 
you know, well, thank you for sharing that. Like, um, I've, you know, I've, uh, you know, not not all, everyone's journey is so supportive. So, um, and and I'd have you'd have to accept that you're a role model for so many people. You know, for everyone really, because of uh, the way you um, openly share your life uh, and and how inclusive you are in in and how you get to the outcomes that you get to. Um, so let's just look at how, it, so it sounds like you ran your, like you finished school and from 1998 to 2012, you ran your own recruitment agency called Winning Attitudes. Um, is there anything sticks out about that, um, that time? Answering the phone for, you know, 12 years saying Winning Attitudes, this is Alex, it kind of formed a very um, positive thing in my uh, positive way to start the day. Um, but you know, I worked with I worked with both of my parents. Um, firstly, my dad, my mum, and my dad, and then um, uh, my mum continued on the company after after my parents divorced. Um, I you know I learned a lot from working with them, um, and I think working in recruitment and human resources, you really learn a lot about people's motivation, what's important to them. You know, a, a job is a really important part of a person's life. It provides them with. Um, dignity, purpose, salary, um, sometimes all of those things, sometimes just one of those things, um, and you get to meet so many people. Um, so, you know, during that time, I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about the different things that motivate people. Um, I learned also, you know, if we go back to, to sort of that time, we're talking about, um, you know, around 2000 to 2010 or so, we really just started to talk about workplace discrimination. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, and particularly discrimination against LGBTI people. And, and now we have, you know, every, every major firm has a diversity and inclusion strategy and policy and celebrates and actively seeks to recruit LGBTI people. Um, but I remember a really distinct moment where a client who shall remain nameless, um, I had put forward a, a, a good candidate, young gay guy, and, uh, you know, perfect CV, would be great at the job, um, and the feedback from the client was, well, he's really good, but, you know, based on his lifestyle, he'll probably have, you know, big Sunday nights and arrive late to work on Mondays. Yeah. Um, my response to that was, uh, never to work with that client again. Okay. Um, uh, but you know, now that you would like to think that sort of stuff would never um, would would not happen. Um, it certainly does. But it was it was a really interesting and evolving time of, of workplace culture where people started to call things out, um, where where corporates could actually see the importance in you know a bit of affirmative action in recruiting women. Um, uh, rather than, um, you know, blokes hiring blokes with the same education background as themselves. Um, so it was a really interesting transitional time um, in the industry. It was as call centres took off. Um, so that's where we did a great deal of our recruitment. Uh, it's where people sort of got more savvy with investing. So we did lots in, in, in stockbroking. Um, uh, I, you know, oh, so I, I really, um, I really enjoyed that time. Also, I was really fortunate, you know, was, you know, working with my parents in a family business um, that I was able to use the resources 
to be able to support um, passion uh, initiatives like the marriage quality campaign. So that, you know, I started um, uh, volunteering with Australian Marriage Quality around 2007. I couldn't have done that without um, the support of my parents and the support of, of winning attitudes um, and being able to use winning attitudes resources for that and helping to professionalize the, the, the movement early on. That's, um, you covered so much there. Uh, let's take it back. I, I love the fact everyone that I've interviewed on this program, and that's probably why I've selected them, they have, a, they have I've, I've described it sometimes as a, if you like a sailing boat, the keel underneath, like a, an unerring keel of values. And you just talked about your values and the courage to stick up for your values when you talked about the client um, who said no to the, the young gay guy who was the best candidate because of lifestyle. And then your next words were, I vowed never to work for that client again. Um, so that's your values coming through, um, which is, you know, hats off to you, Alex. That's, um, that's, it wouldn't have probably wouldn't have been easy because it, maybe that client might have been um, a good contributor to the business uh, and you to, to say no or. Yeah, look, I mean, I've just, I've just found that, you know, I can work with pretty much anyone, um, but I'm always going to be uh, open with 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 my values and, and my expectations. You know, I, I think of a, a, a you know, I, I obviously have a really strong working relationship with the New South Wales government, um, and we we work closely together on a number of important reforms. Um, but you know, I, I think of a meeting I had just yesterday with the Transport Minister's Office on compensation for taxi drivers. And, and the current package which is being put forward is completely insufficient. Um, and, you know, it will, will destroy people's lives. Yeah. Um, and along with the other independents, we just made it clear. We're not we supporting it. this. It's not getting we through. Yeah. With the other independents, like, we're not supporting this. It's not getting through. Go back to the drawing board and come back to us. Yeah. Um, so I'm always I'm always going to be open and direct, um, and let let people know, um, you know what I'm uh, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. I, I get really frustrated with um, colleagues, stakeholders who don't tell you what they want and who yeah. aren't direct. Um, I think that's a it's a it's a really important um, part of leadership is to be open and direct and not be afraid of it. Very good. Um... Is there anything uh, you talked about? Like I can, I can see where, yeah, as you talk to our listeners today, and you talk to me, I can see how you were made. <laughs> like you, um, like the, I think you summed it up. You, like you, you came from a a, parent, uh, a family that were prepared to talk about anything, the good and the bad, uh, the the challenging and the not challenging. But you all in in your parent in the winning life winning attitudes business. You are speaking to people every day and learning what motivates people, um, and and doing that day in and day out. So you can see how you understand you understand people probably better than most. And now in the environment you're in, uh, you probably that's taken it to another level. When you talked about, um, and I love this part of your because you're just kind of bringing it out as you as you're talking about it. Um, you wanted to be involved in your passions. So your pa passions in 2007 was the marriage equality um, movement. 
So you're you're at that stage. You're in your in your family business. Did did you get any blowback then from clients of your family business or people um, external to you? You shouldn't be doing that, Alex. Or, or did you? Is there anything you can share about that time? Yeah. Look, I mean, I I worked with some of the biggest players in corporate Australia, um, and built good relationships all my clients knew I was a, a, a you know I was openly gay man um, uh, uh, and you know I, I remember early on reaching out to my clients to get them to support marriage equality and to recognize um, their staff as being married if they got married overseas yeah. um, and was able to get uh, the Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, at Qantas, um, and a few others, um, all on board with committing to that in 2007. Now, this is a time when you know not even the Greens were talking about marriage equality. Yeah. Um, the both major parties opposed the reform. Unions opposed the reform. Um, support amongst the community was low because it wasn't being talked about. Yeah. Um, but I was able to talk to, you know, clients who I would built a working relationship with about um, why this reform was important, why it would be a good thing for them to do, why it's meaningful to their staff to have that recognition where government is failing, um, yeah. and, and was able to successfully advocate for that. Um, you know, I remember it was the first time I, I was kind of mentioned in a newspaper was once we um, were able to achieve that with a critical mass of, of corporates. Um, and that the Herald um, ran a ran a story about that. So um, you know, I was I've always I always was able to actually, if anything, I was able to leverage off the relationships I had built with corporates to be able to get their support. And I think it was because I was able to communicate it to them not in a political context, but as a you know a, a, an important um, an important thing for their employees and an important uh, value for them to stand up for, the equal treatment of their staff. And it would be, would it be true to say also, like you, you use the word a lot, um, uh, you had a, had a very good, strong relationship with these these corporate entities, and they just, would it, would it be true to say they respected Alex Greenwich? I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I, I've always, pro, I, I, you know, I guess the way I grew up with my parents, um, I've also learned not to be intimidated by people. So, you know, I, and often when you're intimidated to do something or afraid to do something, you're just not going to achieve it. Yeah. So I've never really understood the value of being intimidated by something. Mm. <laughs> so it's much easier to just ask the question, yeah. um, build the relationship and ask the question. Um, be uh, and and be direct. So uh, that that's what I have found has always worked. Uh, and you know, also sometimes if you're intimidated by something or someone, um, and you end up taking that course of action you want to take, you can do it in such a ham-fisted way. Um, it's much better to to treat everyone as an equal human being, not be intimidated, um, and work with people to achieve the outcomes you want to achieve. And you know, that's how I dealt with my business career. That's how I dealt with um, my uh, advocacy career. That's how I deal with, um, you know, with with my political career. 
Okay. Um, where does uh, where does Victor fit into all, all of this? Um, where does he come into the story? So I met Vic um, on the dance floor at Slide, which is a gay bar in um, in Sydney. I would have we met around two thousand and eight. Um, he had just moved to Australia to work for a, a investment bank. Um, I, you know, I remember very distinctly him coming up to me, putting his hand out, saying, you know, hi, I'm Vic, nice to meet you. But wow, what a what a gentleman. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a, a, a love and first sight thing. Um, we, you know, we dated for a while. We're on, a, on again, off again for a while. Um, but it was the moment in which we both, accepted we loved each other more than the things that irritate us about the other person yeah. <laughs> that we realized we could we could live together um and we could get married that's beautiful and you got married um in argentina wasn't it is that that what i've read yeah we, we got we got married in argentina in may 2012 it was a country that would welcome us um, to, to get married we were the, the first um foreign couple to marry in um, Buenos Aires province because there was a ban on foreign people who weren't Argentinian citizens or residents getting married in Argentina. They lifted that ban to allow for same-sex couples from countries where it's not legal to get married. Um, so we worked with advocates on the ground to be able to achieve that. Um, I made sure I, uh, I locked Vic in by marrying him um, uh, before I ran for elected office. Yeah. Um, I was probably thinking about it at the time, and then um, uh, and then after we're married, I kind of said, "Okay, I'm actually going to do this bit." Um, okay. So uh, it was probably a bit of a trick, um, but you know, I I couldn't do my job without him. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, you know, we're complete equals and partners. Um, we motivate each other. We look after each other. We look after each other's health. We have fun together. Um, yeah, like any couple, we you know we we can we do have arguments, but I think that's a, that can be a healthy thing. Yeah, um, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, um, and, and there's no one else I'd rather spend time with than Vic. Gotcha. You're a, you're a very decent human being, Alex. Um, and that's uh, I can just um, I think all of us can feel feel how how normal uh, normal's the wrong word. How wonderful that is um, that you have. Someone in your life, that, that's what the relationships are all about. Someone that uh, enriches you, challenges you, supports you. Um, so yeah, you know, if I've read something about Victor, like he, you just said he was um, an investment banker, worked for an investment bank when he first came to Australia, but he works for Salesforce now, doesn't he? So at a pretty high level in that. So some of the conversations um, and the mental stimulation you must be able to give each other from your respective backgrounds must be just gobsmacking. <laughs> I would imagine you have you both bring something pretty powerful intellectually to the table. Yeah, but you know, sometimes we just want to talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah we can we can watch that, laugh at it, and chat about it. So you know, we can have a intellectually stimulating conversation. Um, we can just you know. Uh, you know, lie next to each other, read and not talk, yeah. um, you know, or, or we can just, you know, watch trashy TV and have the best time. That's lovely. That's lovely. Um, 
you're, I'll just assure readers we haven't scripted this at all, but you're kind of taking me there already. So um, uh, I had no idea when you met Victor actually at all. So um, like you've talked about how you went into the, at 2007, you entered the marriage equality advocacy, I think you called it. Um, and then you meet Victor in 2008 and you're married in 2012. And then you're springing on Victor um, using your words that I'm, I'm going to run for parliament. Um, how does that, how, how like you obviously, uh, I, I'd rather hear it from you. How do you um, end up becoming, I don't know, what's, what's the word, having a relationship with Clover Moore? Um, uh, how does that happen? And how does she endorse you to become her replacement? And I think in your words, um, now there's two of us. Indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, so Clover became the member for Bly the year we moved to Sydney, which was 1987. Um, so my entire time um, living in the city, in Sydney, Clover was the local member. Um, and, you know, she was in that capacity as an independent, able to get things done, um, progress controversial reforms, whether they be drug law reform, same-sex adoption, um, anti-vilification protections, really look after her, her community, particularly during the heart of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Um, she, um, a truly remarkable leader and person um, uh, in every sense of the word. So obviously I was, you know, a huge, a huge fan and supporter of Clovis for, for a, a very long time. It was my... Um, LGBTI advocacy um, and around the marriage equality campaign where I was able to work with her. She's probably, I mean, some, some historian needs to do this work, but she's probably the first elected official to publicly back same-sex marriage um, uh, and work within the city of Sydney to have a, a, a registration process um, and then, um, you know, raise the issue in, in New South Wales Parliament um, and so I was able to work with her as a, as a champion for reform um, at a time when not only was she the member for Sydney, uh, but also the Lord Mayor of Sydney. So the Lord Mayor of Australia's global city, back in the LGBTI community, back in marriage equality, was, was when I, um, was, was how I got to work with her and her team. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who really values democracy. Um, I think, uh, it, you know, it's a fundamental principle that we have to, every day fight to protect, uh, we can never take for granted. And when the O'Farrell government uh, introduced legislation that passed that said Clover could not be the member for Sydney um, and the Lord Mayor, uh, despite having been democratically elected to both roles um, by her constituents, knowing she was doing both roles, I really felt like my vote had been taken away. And um, I emailed her office, and I said, I feel like my vote has been taken away. Um, what can I do? Um, and uh, I had a bit of a local profile because of the marriage equality advocacy. And that soon turned into a conversation of, yeah, well, what I could do is I could actually put my hand up um, to run for the um, for the, the seat of Sydney at the by-election. Um, now, uh, anyone who, uh, who knows or has worked with Clover knows she, um, she is uh, across the detail, um, wants to uh, make sure you can do 
the job and the work, wants to make sure you've got the, the right values to represent the area. So I spent about three months in, um, in her electorate office, which later became my electorate office, um, volunteering, understanding everything about the concerns with changes to local bus stops through to drug law reform, um, relationship with the police, um, uh, the importance of the injecting centre. And, um, you know, after a, uh, you know, after three pretty intense months of, of learning, um, uh, her staff, now my staff, basically uh, gave me the job and, um, Said to said to Clover, yeah, we like this guy. Um, we um, we can work with him. And so then, you know, I was really fortunate, and it was ex an extreme act of generosity that on Clover's last day in New South Wales Parliament, um, after such a, a trailblazing and historic career, that she used that moment to publicly endorse me um, to to be her successor. Um, and the oops, Soon after that, we had a by-election, which I, you know, I, I won, and I, you know, I won that by-election because of Clover's endorsement um, and um, and the support um, that she really uh, inspired across the Sydney electorate. I think it's wonderful. I, I don't think many people would know this story, and I haven't, I haven't heard this this story before. Um, I think you're being very modest. Uh, if I if I just look at that story a little bit, um, there must be something about Alex Greenwich um, when you're volunteering for three months that Clover Moore staff say we can work with this guy. <laughs> what 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 was it? What do you think it was? Like that, you can just imagine how 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 protective they are of Clover Moore and how they don't want things to change. And then all of a sudden, you know, over a three-month period, they say we can work with this guy. Where does how does where does that come from? Look, I don't know. It's a question for them. Um, I think, you know, I would like to think it was um, my open-mindedness to issues, my work ethic, um, uh, my ability to um, grasp complex issues and communicate them to people, um, the um, uh, having a non-judgmental view of the world. Um, even when people disagree with you. I, I would like to think it's all of those things. Um, uh, and, I, the, you know, there must have been part of it where they thought I could get elected. So, you know, that, I, was, I was a good product to sell. <laughs> and um, how does that make you feel personally when Clover herself, Clover Moore herself says, well, I want you to be my successor? Well, yeah, what? I mean, you know, you know, you just talking to you today. It's obviously you're not a, you're not egotistical. You're not, um, well, I don't know what what some of the unkind words around what that means. Um, you're not self-centered. Uh, but what did what did Alex Granich, the person, think? Clovermore wants me to replace her. What what did that mean to you? Yeah, look, I mean, I know I said that I'm, you know, I. I pride myself on really getting intimidated, um, but that was intimidating. You know, yeah. a, a, a political leader, you know, a, 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 you know, a national leader on, on many on many fronts um, saying, uh, uh, this dude could do my job. Um, really 
um, it was an intimidating thing. Um, my response to that was to work extremely hard to make sure I won and then to really make sure I had a really strong work ethic once I started the job. One thing people sometimes forget about politics is it's actually a job um, and being a parliamentarian is actually a job and you've actually got to work hard. Um, I remember early on Clover saying to me that she, you know, she tries to take Sundays off, but I wouldn't be, but I won't be able to. Um, meaning yeah. I've got to work seven days a week um, and, you know, be, be very focused on it. And fortunately, um, you know, I, uh, I, I really love my job. I just spent, I was able to take a bit of holidays this year um, uh, away in July and I actually missed my job. So, you know, that's a, it's a good sign that, you know, I've, I've, I've come to really love the work that I do. Um, and, uh, you know, really, really grateful to have Clover's backing, you know, back in 2012 and that we have such a strong working relationship today. And how long was the um, by-election process? Once she gave you the nod in Parliament to the election day, how, how long was that? It was something like three weeks. It was a really tight oh, time. The, the Liberal yeah. Party thought that they had it in the bag and they just wanted to rush. Um, uh, she had, they had no idea that, that she had planned to um, uh, in, endorse me. Yeah. But again, you know, like, yes, Clover had done her due diligence in scrutinising me, making sure I had a good work ethic, making sure we shared similar values. But that election I was elected because Clover endorsed me. Um, I remember handing out, um, you know, flyers at, uh, you know, at a train station one morning and some a uh, dude comes up to me, takes a flight and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for this guy. He's the one that, that Clover wants me to vote for. Um, okay. And I said, oh, it's actually me. And the guy's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, like it's it's whoever Clover says uh, we're going we're gonna to vote for. And, and that is just a sign of how well respected she is um, in the community, how people trust her and her judgment. Um, and so that's, that's really something for me to... Uh, uh, to be ambitious in aspiring to. Okay, beautiful. Well, that's taken us up to like you, you. You've now been a member of Parliament for ten years. I think I saw something on your Facebook page um, recently that you're coming up to your ten your ten year anniversary, um, and it's coming up to election time again. So I don't want to kind of go down a political path, but um, it's obvious. You know, when I did that introduction um, and as you've recounted some of the stories so far, that you're an advocate for issues uh, where I think you talked about it before, um, where you want to fight for the to protect the, the values of democracy. Um, and in some, in looking at some of those advocacies, one of the people I interviewed the other day used this term, a voice for the voiceless. Um, how do you, how do you, as a politician, how do you frame what you're going to take on? Because some, you know, from a personal point of view, uh, you know, they are a voice for the voiceless. A lot of these things that you that you've taken on and and got across the line. Um, so how do you take it on, uh, and and what frames what you take on? So in my electorate office, I have this. Uh, portrait 
of a guy who is a homeless injecting drug user who was in and out of jail um 